This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. TheChairShot.com TheChairShot.com Always Always Use your head. You are now listening to ChairShot Radio. Always use your head. dates and everything like that and talking about the promotion we do have the man behind extreme reunion uh, a legend in in the business of professional wrestling of course you know him best for his time in ecw but he's been everywhere wwf wcw uh, all over the world and, uh, and and we're just super excited to have him on the program um and that is of course the franchise shane douglas shane douglas thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the greg demarco show hey, it's great being here how's everybody doing tonight so far, so good. We had a few technical difficulties with my co-host, but uh, we've got it all ironed out, and we're super excited to have you on. A lot of people have been talking about your appearance on the show today. People in our chat room are, are excited to have you on as well. So, yeah, just you know, we're honored that you, that you chose to join us. Hi, honor is mine. I mean, any chance to get to talk to people that know the business and, and are as passionate about it as I, as I have been for 30-plus, well, probably about 45 years now, uh, since I was knee out of a grasshopper, I'm, I always jump at the opportunity and relish the chance to to get our side of the equation out. Well, I appreciate the kind words, but uh, you, you've you've easily forgotten more than than we will ever know. But we definitely <laughs> do do appreciate that. Um, and 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 I and I told Kevin this, and and we're not going to spend a ton of time on the past because of all the great things you have coming up for the future. But my co-host Patrick O'Dowd and myself, Greg DeMarco, have each picked one prior topic to discuss that we'll bring up, and uh, and then of course we'll get into the future stuff. Um, and and mine is to really talk about that famous night when you won the NWA. World uh, World Heavyweight Championship. You threw it down, starting the extreme era of ECW. And I know you've asked me about this probably more times than you can remember. But before you cut that promo, when you were in the back and you knew what was coming up, what was going through your head? Well, I, you know, I, because again, the only people in the building that I know for certain knew of the possibility of the angle were me and Paul, and Todd Gordon was in on it in some way. I don't know the extent of what he knew or didn't know. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure which way I was going to go with it. And I, I've just sort of been one of those guys that's always followed my heart. Where, you know, my mind thinks of something, my, my mouth opens and kicks it in gear. And I've always followed followed my, my beliefs. And for the, most of my career has been for the better. There's been a few negative things for it. Uh, but my father taught me to live my life that way. You know, and if, if you think something through, you believe it to be right, you follow it. And to me at that time, that was the really only direction I could see ECW taking. I mean, I, I, the NWA, for all intents and purposes, was dead and gone by that time. Uh, it was a much more impossible task, I believe, uh, much more unlikely task to resurrect the NWA than it was to launch a new company and, and change it from Eastern to Extreme, same letters. We'd already had a pretty strong following. 
So to me, and, and I think to all the ECW guys, and I think all the fans in the building that I realized, ECW was the engine, was, you know, was the engine inside that car, inside that automobile. We weren't riding off the NWA. They were riding off the bus. So going to the ring with Scorpio for the, for the final match, I still wasn't dead set sold on it because in the back of my head, being one of those old school, brought in under the old school tenure mm-hmm. and looking up and idolizing guys like the Briscoes and the Funks and, and even Ric Flair. I mean, you know, I've said it a million times. He was one of the major reasons I got into the business. And what a letdown after I met him. But, uh, you know, just uh, Steamboat. Uh, uh, you know, you get on the list of all the legendary names that have carried that belt. Harley Race. Guys that I've really idolized. I was more concerned in the back of my head. Uh, not that it wouldn't work, but that those guys would take it as a slight towards them. And that was really my main concern. And when I got into the ring, of course, and got into the match with Scorpio, by the time that wrapped up, for me, I was in the franchise mode in ECW's arena, and it was a really easy decision from that point. But even even afterwards, when I got back and settled down a bit and started thinking again, because remember, there was no guarantee that angle was going to work. Thank God right. it did. But had it not worked, you know, I think you know we'd be speaking a different tune today. I'm thankful that it did. And I'm also thankful that after having spoken many more times after that with Harley Race and the Funk Brothers and the Briscoes and you know, all the guys I've mentioned, including Steamboat, uh, that they all understood it. They, they knew the business side of it and the reason for it. So once I knew that, I was a lot, I felt a lot better about having done it. Uh, but I, you know, thankfully it did work out for us and, and it started us up that, that great big climb to, to, you know, the status that we became. When it wasn't even long before that you you cut that famous promo that you held the the World Tag Team Championships with Ricky Steamboat um, in, in in the WCW right after NWA become WCW. So I mean you were a part of that history yourself. So it definitely had to be looming over there. Now now your character in ECW of course became the franchise because you essentially started the franchise with that promo. Uh, do you think your ECW career and and even the subsequent years after that would have been different if you hadn't been the guy that cut that promo? Uh, well, I'm sure that had an impact on it, no question. I mean, that was, you know, the night that we really, you know, set, set fire to the place, so to speak. I mean, that, mm-hmm. you know, Steve Austin used to say, if Vince McMahon wants to get you over, he'll strap a rocket to your ass. And that was the night we strapped the rocket to our ass, was that we became not just that little bingo hall company, but became something much larger. And uh, the funny thing in hindsight was, or the sad thing, ironic thing, whatever term you want to put to it, was those of us in ECW, Taz, me, Dreamer, uh, Raven, none of us knew, we were so close to the forest we couldn't see the trees, that, you know, we knew we had following. We had no idea the extent of the following. We were a very finite organization in in terms of region, Um, but we didn't realize, remember, the Internet was just a baby then, and we, we knew we had a following outside of that region, but in my head, it was maybe a couple hundred fans there, a couple hundred fans over here, and a couple hundred fans back there. And all told, it might be 20,000, 30,000 fans outside of our region. But the, the thing that convinced me, the first domino that fell that convinced me that it was much larger was when the ECW uh, uh, video game went on sale in the first week. It sold some crazy number that first week, <laughs> and which I thought was more, far more than – what I had considered to be that many fans in the entire in the entire ECW universe had exceeded. Uh, and then when, after its demise, when Vince McMahon put out the 
rise and fall of VCW DVD, and it sold it's some crazy number. That sort of solidified it. Now, you know, it's hard to quantify because after, you know, ECW's legacy and legend became much larger after its demise. So a lot more fans came on board, I think, afterwards. Uh, but it's like one of those things, you know, that like everybody that was alive in 1969 went to Woodstock. You know, and mm-hmm. if, they were, if they were alive back then and they were of age, you asked them, they were at Woodstock. And uh, so many people I've heard... Every place around this world, too. Hey, I was there the night the line was crossed. I was there the third of Eagle. I was there, you know, the November to remember '97, and all these places. Like, well, if you guys were there, man, you must have been invisible because we had great crowds at those places. But for every person <laughs> that told me that, we, we'd had about a fifty thousand house if, if, <laughs> of the people that told that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I definitely, definitely, definitely uh, understand that. Um, had you decided not to cut that promo, and, and I know you said you were considering it, what, what do you think would have happened to, to you and, and to things in general? Uh, I, I think you know ECW. You know we we had gotten the panache and, and the press that we needed off of the off of the NWA tournament. Um, you know I think that EC, we would have gotten our footing sooner or later, probably later, if, if that promo hadn't been cut. Just remember, I had cut a lot of promos prior to that that were. You know, fairly controversial and had caught the uh, the ears of certain people, but that was the one I think that in one solitary moment, you know, a that you could from now looking back and you know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but you could look back and draw a direct line to that night as to when ECW really took off. Uh, you know, so it was, uh, uh, you know, clearly that was instrumental and in, and. In, in, what ECW became, what would have happened to me? I, you know, I, I think the franchise, Paul had the franchise character pretty well figured in, and if it hadn't taken hold that night, it would have been at some other later night with something else I had said. But there's no question that that was the night that people stood up and said, holy smokes, this, this white meat middle-of-the-card babyface has just turned himself and transformed himself into a much larger heel than anybody would have ever given credit for or thought possible. And that was the night that ECW really started that climb up the hill that everybody, all the naysayers, the Bischoffs and the McMahons and everybody else said, it'll never happen, it'll never work, ain't going to happen, they don't have the money, they don't have this, they don't have that. All we have were a few key, key ingredients. We had a great product, we had incredible fans, and we had a booker behind us that believed in it. And with those three ingredients, we set, we set fire to the rest of the world. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You absolutely did. And and, uh, and I um, have to confess that uh, the first time... Uh, I saw you work uh, on ECW, Shane. 
Um, I had I had a thought that that leads into my question, and that was, what's Dean Douglas from the WWE doing dumping the the NWA title? And so I really wanted I wanted to ask a little bit about the the Dean Douglas character. Just where did it come from, and and, uh, and how did how did you feel about it? Because I remember seeing you up there in front of that chalkboard and and really hating you. <laughs> Well, the, the the thing was, in hindsight, you know, many people, I, I think, would, because I've been so cold towards the character since I mm. left there, and it wasn't the character. If that was my way of telling Vince McMahon, I'm scratching my eye with my middle finger, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, because you know you can play games with people. You know, I, I, I guess that's what a billionaire does for shits and giggles is is play with somebody's life. Um, for me, when we went up there. I know that he had a, a very strong desire to tighten his product. Uh, that was the whole idea and, and, and inception of the character grew out of. At the time, if you go back and look at the tapes prior to the Dean Douglas era, mm -hmm. uh, everybody in the WWF then Federation, uh, including Bret Hart, was making such basic mistakes like not grapevining the leg prior to pinning except on the actual pin. Yeah. And uh, everybody from the top of the card to the opening matches was making very simple, basic mistakes like that. <clears throat> that was driving Vince up a wall because back then, believe it or not, he still had a very strong desire to put on a good wrestling product. <laughs> and so the Dean character was supposed to be brought in to, in a entertaining, tongue-in-cheek way, sort of give a, a, an elbow to the ribs and say, hey, hit man, you say you're the best is, was, and ever will be, but you don't even grip on the leg except on the final pinfall. Um, it was supposed to be that sort of backward, ha-ha, you know, isn't this cute and funny? And, but by doing that, the guys would then tighten their work up. Mm -hmm. uh, what it became after, at least that's the way it was sold to me, and that's the way all those promos early on, those vignettes were done. Sure. And, uh, but Vince had, had promised me whenever I was coming in to do that. Uh, and, and obviously the character stemmed out of the fact that I had been a teacher before. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so they, I, I said to Vince, if you allow me to do this in a, in a collegiate way, in a realistic way, not grading like a TT, terrible twosome for a tag team or, you know, whatever. It was to, to give a legitimate grade, an F, a D, a C, a C minus, an A, to whoever earned it and for whatever reason. And then I thought by doing that, first of all, it would keep the character legitimate. Secondly, it would give it some legitimacy in the sense that, hey, he does give some people good grades. You know, of course, it would turn out to be the heels or the people that I liked or whatever down the road. But he had, he had committed to that promise, committed that promise to me that it would be kept at. And then when we got there, of course, it became the, you know, terrible twosome and all these ridiculous grades. And then I've heard through the grapevine how much of which is true, I don't know. But I heard from different people in the office that guys like Shawn Michaels and different people were complaining, saying, who the hell is Shane Douglas to be coming in here and critiquing us? They were, I mean, they were taking it seriously as opposed to everything else in wrestling that most professionals understand is a work. And, uh, and that, that's why, from, again, my understanding of the back, you know, the back alley talk was that the clique complained because of that and then went, went to work and Vince allowed it to happen. Now, is that true or not? You have to ask Vince, and I'm sure he'll give you a real straight answer. <laughs> yeah, he, he's called, he's called us back every time we've tried to reach him. So, um, but anyway, you know, during that time with the character, you did have a, a brief one night run with the Intercontinental uh, title. Uh, was there supposed to be more for that? From that, or was that really 
what the plan was? No, there was supposed to be much more for that. Uh, okay. That was the culmination of the click. The, the, the angle was supposed to be a repeat of the Rick Rude uh, Ultimate Warrior uh, angle. Uh, Rick okay. Rude beat him to Continental Belt, and then for the world title, of course, the Warrior one. Uh, it was supposed to be the same thing between the Dean and, and Shawn Michaels. It was supposed to be the Dean teaches him a lesson uh, in his classroom for the Intercontinental title, and then at WrestleMania the following year for the world for the heavyweight title, uh, take two music, mm-hmm. and uh, you know and that whole thing got changed the week after, the three weeks before the uh, the Regina, uh, uh, I think it was in your house. Uh, it's, Three weeks prior to that, we were in Germany. Half the crew was in Germany and Austria and Switzerland. And the other half of the crew was back here in the States. And that was around that time, like within three or four weeks of Sean getting, quote-unquote, beaten up by all those guys at the at the bar. Um, <laughs> and which turned out to be one guy, and the other nine guys jumped on Navy Boy. <laughs> so, uh, but the week I got back from there, Navy Boy had called me and well, and David was a good friend of mine, but he's also sort of like the stir of the pot. There's the real river. And he called me up and he said, Shawn Michaels said he's going to embarrass you on the uh, on the pay-per-view. And I laughed. I said, if he tries, I'll stretch his ass on the pay-per-view. And from that point forward, that earlier that day, I'd gotten a call from J.J. Dillon that we were to be in the, in the town two days before everybody else to go over a very important finish. I already knew what the finish was. I'd spoken to Vince personally about it. I knew I was over and uh, the day before we were supposed to leave, that got changed. I got a phone call from Jim Ross and J.J. Dillon saying that Shawn Michaels had a relapse of his concussion and wouldn't be able to wrestle that weekend. And so with my medical background, having been accepted to medical school, I know that you don't relapse concussion unless you're hit in the head again or there's some jarring of the brain to, to you know stir that injury. So I asked him, I said, how did he get hurt again? They said, what do you get hurt again? I said, well, how did he relapse with concussion? And he said, well, gee, we don't know. It was, uh, I'm not sure. And they were hammering all over, stammering all over themselves trying to come up with it. So I knew right there it was in the works. You know, Sean had run his mouth, and I responded, and the finish got changed. So you do the math. Yeah. So if you could, uh, if you would have had the opportunity to book yourself in the WWF back then, how how would you have done things differently? I would have brought me in as the franchise. You know, I mean, in '96, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm pretty modest by nature, so I don't want to sit there and say I was the hottest wrestler in his in, in wrestling. Mm-hmm. But the, the franchise character was pretty damn hot in 1996. Uh, the internet was buzzing about him. Uh, you, to me, you take a character like that, like Vince did with the first three generations of his stars from, from the time he went big. Uh, he took Jake the Snake Roberts, Ted DiBiase, uh, Hulk Hogan, all these people from different areas and brought them into one place, and they were still Jake Roberts and Paul Orndorff and all these people. He allowed them to keep those names, and he augmented the characters. To me, the, the, Dean char- the, the franchise character was a character that screamed out for that. I mean, he was a guy who had transformed promos on wrestling and really taken a different tack from what most, if, if not everybody before him had done with them, uh, and had people talking and had proven to be a commodity that could draw heat. As Bill Watts and any old school promoter will tell you, if your heels have heat, you can draw money. So to me, it seemed a no-brainer to have this so often talked about heel in 96. 
that had all these credentials and promos and in the ring and everything else. Uh, I've always liked to analogize it to, like in football. If I'm a football coach, and if I get hired to be the Miami Dolphins head football coach tomorrow, and I get a chance to bring Ben Roethlisberger in, I'm hardly going to say to him, now, Ben, whatever you do, we don't want you to scramble. Because it's one of his strengths. It's one of the things that makes him so phenomenal. In other words, I build my offense around his strengths. I don't negate his strengths. So when you bring the, the Dean character in, having stripped me of the, of the franchise character that I was known to most wrestling fans as, then you tell me to stop doing the promo that I was known for and speak in a monotone voice. He, uh, erase my passion that comes through in my promos, whether they were right or wrong, good or bad. The franchise peaked and oozed passion about everything he did and said. So they took that away. So it's like bringing Roethlisberger in and saying, okay, stay in the pocket, kid, and don't worry about anything else. They took all my strengths away. So, you'd have, again, you'd have to ask Vince's take on it. I really did, to, from my standpoint, it's almost brainless to have done that and taken those assets away without there having been some some uh, contingency or some some preset plan that they were heading to. Of, of, it's, I, I guess ensuring that character didn't get over and I think the reason for that, and the reason I think that way, is uh, you know you have been coming into the biggest company in the world, and you're taking a wrestler that has all these assets that are that are renowned in this character, and you're erasing every one of them, and you're starting off with a character that nobody's ever heard of. It's, by my estimation, so cartoonish nobody can believe it. And then you're taking my top abilities away, and you know so I'm supposed to be Mr. Collegiate in the dressing room. I've got seven PhDs on the world's smartest man, but I speak like a bore, and I have no passion about anything. Uh, any great professor I ever had in college or, or, or high school have, were very passionate about their topics and their subjects. That character somehow lost that. But in the midst of all that, he still wanted me to get into the ring and give a franchise performance in the ring. It didn't add up. It, it was like two trains passing in the night. The way I was treating the character off camera or on camera out of the ring didn't match up with what he wanted in the ring. It, it, it just they didn't add up. And so I think the, the reason for that, I think that he would have done that, was keep in mind in that context, again, hindsight 2020 and everything, but in 95 and 4 and 3 and early 96 before I went there, I was targeting heavily in my promos the WWF and WCW, telling both champions the shoots, uh, you know, and... and calling both companies to the carpet. And so what better thing to do than to take this big mouth wannabe from ECW that's making all this ruckus in the wrestling world and bring him up here, strip him of all those uh, of all those assets and put him in a blue and white sequin outfit, uh, like a cartoon character. I mean, in hindsight, it's stupid on Vince's part, but I think the character really could have, could have drawn something for, for quite a long time for them. Excellent. So, so I want to I want to take a step forward now because I do want to talk about the Extreme Reunion shows and and, and the Extreme Rising shows that you have sure. coming up. And I want to start by talking about Extreme Reunion. Um, and, and and for our listeners, I mean, we'll definitely you know have future opportunities to talk more about the past because Shane Douglas has got a, a tremendous career that we could talk for hours about and and and, and would love to do that. Um, but I do want to talk about the Extreme Reunion event. Uh, a lot of people in their reviews and in talking about the show they weren't kind towards that, the last event that took place in Philly. What was your own assessment of that event? My assessment was we had, first of all, more hiccups than we needed to have on a show, uh, things that were completely outside of our 
our control. I, I bar, being well, stepping short of saddling myself with Sabu and Justin Credible and and about twelve other guys twenty four hours a day in that dressing room. Hmm. I couldn't possibly completely one hundred and fifty percent ensure that nobody would end up that way. I I assumed, right. and this is where I miscalculated that. And I told some of the partners for weeks and months leading into the show, we will have one major problem on the show we'll have to handle, and we'll handle it, and we'll have to probably fire somebody or throw somebody out. But I assumed it would be one and done. Uh, what I didn't prepare for, and nor did I have the staff to handle, multiple problems going on in multiple places in the building. Um, you know, it's, I, I guess when you put an alcoholic, in a, a former alcoholic in a bar, you're, you're running the risk of them getting drunk. And, you know, so for us, we didn't expect that. Um, but I'm really happy to say, to, to announce that Sabu had, upon my speaking with him after the event, uh, and he got out of the hospital and speaking with the partners, and his own clarity when he, when he called me, in fact, after that, he, you know, he said he realized he had screwed up. He was very apologetic. He's embarrassed uh, at what happened. Um, and my first thought to him was, having been through it, is Sabu, it's time to get help. You know, I mean, it, it, this thing is bigger than uh, I know from speaking it through experience. You know, addiction is a very difficult thing to beat. It's very deadly if it's not treated. Uh, uh, very few positive things come out of it. And so to me, I, I couldn't imagine Sabu hitting any more rock bottom than he had after that. And hearing it in his voice, of how embarrassed and, and belittled he felt to himself and how, how much he felt he let everybody down, us, the fans, himself. Uh, and, and I thought that it was going to be a very difficult conversation. Sabu, you need to go to rehab and get help. Instead, he was asked, He started asking, do you have any ideas of where and how do I go about it and you know, what do you do? And it was more inquisitive on his part, which really made me feel good that at least he's taken a step in that right direction. So those things, you know, the people, the people that are complaining, first of all, you know, I, I take a, 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 with a grain of salt, I listen to, to what everybody says out there, as many people as I can possibly get in uh, to follow through blogging and, and call-ins and questions from the fans. Um, but I don't believe that the fans that night that were in the building, overall, if you were to put a percentage on it, I would say vastly more than 80 85% of the people, if not more than that, enjoyed the show, and I'll, and I'll tell you where that comes from. Over 30 years, I've learned to listen. I don't have to watch it so I can listen to the show. And what I heard from response in the crowd throughout the course of the night was overwhelmingly gigantic pops and applause and laughter and enjoying themselves. And there were a few places where there weren't those those responses. One was during the, uh, during the uh, Raven segment. Uh, that was the first negative overt negative uh, comments I'd heard from the crowd. But right after that, uh, they, they got a little sour whenever they announced that Pete Day wouldn't be there, just incredible. But during and after the match uh, with Crowbar, there was a thunderous roar in the building of applause and, 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 and approval. And uh, so, again, throughout the course of the night, and when I went to the ring for the main event, I, not knowing that the fans had not already been told that Sabu wasn't performing, went into my franchise mode in the ring and went into, as soon as I started talking, there were some small segment of voices, less than 10, behind me facing the hard camera that started different chants. 
and very quickly the rest of the building would join in. But whenever I turned around, I nodded to handle a heckler, and so when I, I turned around and addressed them, I turned around, if you watch the tape, you'll see I then turn back around after I make the statement to them, then look around to the rest of the building, and the people in the rest of the building are smiling and giving me a golf clap. Like, that's his saying, shut them up. So it wasn't like they were going to screw you, Douglas, you know, you suck, and this show is suck. There was none of that. Then after the the match started in the main event, Charlie, two gold and I, wrestled all around the right side of the ring off hard camera left and through the audience and behind and back hard camera left from from the right side of the screen. And, uh heard all voices of support to the crowd. So I'm not sold on the whole point that everybody that was there thought the show was a stinkeroo and it was terrible. And Look, I, I'll put that show up, and, I, and I'll ask you guys to be the judge. Go back and watch the show from start to finish and the quality of the wrestling and tell me if you've ever seen Bischoff book anything half that good at WCW or TNA with $2 billion corporations behind it. Um, look, was the show perfect? Far from it. Uh, again, using a baseball term, an analogy, I would say we hit a good solid double and may have stole third late in the uh, innings. Uh, but I'm not happy until we hit a home run or a grand slam. So we've addressed the problems that popped up, technical technical problems, like you said you had on your show earlier. We've addressed mm-hmm. those. We've hired new people. We'll do a dry run through it before both shows in New York and Philadelphia to ensure and safeguard as best we can that that won't happen again. Uh, we've dealt with the talents that we needed to deal with. We've made it very clear to the talents that are still in the company that we cannot tolerate that. And we've let the fans know we're not going to tolerate that. So what I don't want to happen is I don't want anybody to, to lose sight of the quality of the performances that night. Uh, the dramatics came out in the opening match, uh, new tag team, and wrestled Blackout, a, a, a new largely unknown tag team and did a fantastic job in, in, in filling up, you know, filling that legacy of ECW. These are guys, anybody from burning the company are guys that I firmly believe in 1993, four, five, six, seven, or eight would have been in ECW had they been in the business and mature enough at that time. Uh, it's not just because somebody likes the guy or I'm friends with them or whatever. If they don't fit the bill for ECW style, and they're not going to be an extreme rising. Uh, so that's our whole focus on this thing, is to, to bring those fans back. Look, you know, you're, you always have, and I'm sure you guys have people to critique your show. No matter oh, yeah. what you guys say, no matter what what, what guests you have on, there's, there's critics out there that will say, you guys suck, you can't ever get it right, no matter what you do. And we're the Pretty same. Much. And those are the people we're playing to. Yeah, oh yeah, no, we definitely, trust me, we, we get it all the time, and we'll probably get it right now for all I know. Um, I want to go back to one specific comment that was made after the event. Um, uh, the former guy who was involved in ECW and a very prominent booker in Gabe Sapolsky, he, he himself actually, via Twitter, called for the 2,000 fans at that event to, to, to move on past the past and, and, and go into the current product like what he was putting on um, with, with Evolve and Dragon Gate USA. And did you have any thoughts about those comments at the time or any, any reaction to something like that? This is the first I've heard them, but I'll say this. Gabe Sapolsky had called me multiple times before the event and asked to be involved in any way that he would be willing to do anything we needed him to do. Uh, I couldn't agree more with him. Let's put the past behind us. Let's move forward to the future. But I don't believe that extreme is part of the past. I believe extreme championship wrestling is. I believe that style has a huge future. 
and, and, and will continue to do so. I think it's probably out of that comment, more more uh, angry at himself that he's been uh, unable to ever draw that kind of a house or that kind of excitement. Uh, I wish him well. Look, I, I wish Ring of Honor, uh, 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 his companies, uh, TNA, WWE, I wish I could wave a magic wand right now and make them all draw the kind of numbers we used to draw 10 years ago because that would mean that a lot of wrestlers have been put back to work. A lot of wrestlers have started making money again. I want to see everybody do well. I find it comical and somewhat suspect that these people that have been have been running pretty much nonstop since ECW, and he's never quite hit stride. Now I got to ask why. Um, Bischoff has been running and in the business for most of that time, and he's put one billion dollar company out of the business, and is soon to put a second out if he continues on the way he's going. I got to ask the question: Why is he so concerned? about what we're doing. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's clear to me that they see something there, some possibility of success there that has them concerned. For me, you know, if, if, if he wants, if Eric Bischoff wants to sit down side by side and critique his booking style, I'll be happy to do that. I'll take on that challenge any day of the week. Uh, I, I wish Dixie Carter had the, the colonies to do that. <laughs> uh, he, probably would, he probably wouldn't be employed there. And as far as Gabe's comments go, I find it suspect. If I was a fan, I'd be asking, why is he wishing so much bad on the company that gave him his launch, his foot in the, his, his door, you know, his step into the business, uh, if anything? And why would he, why was he calling so much to be part of it? Would he have made those comments if we said, okay, Gabe, come on in? Uh, and if he, and now I'm going to ask myself, if I did bring him in, would he have worked for the betterment of the company or not try to tear it down from inside? You see, it always comes out in the wash in this business. No, you're right. It's funny because you're saying a lot of things that I said in my column when I wrote about it, and people ripped me about it just like you talked about earlier. So that, that is good. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about kind of the new direction uh, that you're going in with Extreme Rising. Was this the original plan, or was this a change of plans brought about as a result of the first show? Well, any company is, is always, any company focusing on growth is always going to be in a state of flux and, and adjusting to the to the climate and the environment, um, we're doing we're doing that exactly. But we've gone back. You know, there's nothing that we've done in any of those shows, whether the last one, April 28th, or planning on doing June 29th in New York or June 30th in Philadelphia, that that shifts very far away from what I've said in every promo leading up to the first event and every interview since. We always said we would be one a company with one eye looking back and what I'm looking forward. Obviously, at some point down the road, we will, those both eyeballs will slowly start turning forward. But in order to do that, I think we very strongly have to, if we're relaunching that brand, we have to pull as much off of the original ECW legacy as we can. Um, like I've always said, Vince may own the name, but we wrestlers rightfully own the legacy. Mm-hmm. And you know, that legacy is something that we have to remember back of the fans. I mean, if I had a dollar for every fan that said the following, some some form of the following statement to me in the last five years, uh, I I was a religious, fanatical fan of wrestling my entire life. I've watched it since I was a kid. I never used to miss it, and I haven't seen it in years. 
if I had a dollar for every fan that told me, I mean, know the numbers. I mean, you can look at the numbers on the ratings. Look at 12 years ago, 11 years ago, when ECW, WCW, and WWF were all kicking. Uh, the collective uh, audience was somewhere around 43 to 46 million people per week with, with reruns. Vince did a historic low 2.7 last week, and he's going to three hours, so you can hope <laughs> that boring show is going to be even longer now. Um, but, you know, that 2.7 equates out to about 2.2, 2.3 million people. TNA is still drawing their same 600,000 to 800,000 fans. So that means less than 3 million fans watch that. What in the world happened to the other 42, 43 million fans? They didn't disappear. I don't believe that many died or got sucked up into a spaceship, uh, you know, the last comet flew by. Uh, they're <laughs> out there. They're looking for wrestling. They're looking at something that takes them back. Because clearly the product they're getting from the big two companies ain't satisfying them. And to me, it's stunning the, 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 the uh, commonality of that situation that exists today in wrestling was the exact situation that persisted in 1992 that opened the door for ECW in the first place. If WCW and WWF back then were giving the multitudes of fans what they wanted, nobody would have given a damn what we were doing in that bingo hall. Instead, 20 years later here, we're still talking about it. Um, and, and not talking about, we're going to imitate ECW and, and be ECW all over again and have a character named Sandman and have a character named Chris Candido and a character named Bam Bam Bigelow. No, we're going to relive the spirit of that company with young talent and with as many of the legends as we can squeeze on there and bring back the excitement that Extreme Championship Wrestling brought to so many fans in the 90s. That's what we've always said. Nice. So, so do you think that you can capture the old that, that old audience like you did at the first show at these future shows going forward? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, like I said earlier, we, we didn't hit on all cylinders on the first show. Um, but what we did from that was we lived and learned. Uh, I would put that show up with anything the original ECW did in its first six months. Uh, we had some pretty good shows in there, but we also had an awful lot of hiccups and burps and mistakes. Uh, technical glitches included. That was the reason that Kimona danced on top of the arena, if everybody remembers. <laughs> yep. um, you know, so the original ECW had had as many, if not far more, problems than we had at that first show. The difference was, in my memory, Paul was very lax to handle those types of things back in then. Uh, Paul was very much a creative genius, wanted to sit back in his little cubby hole and write his storylines and, you know, just hand them out and, and not deal with anything else. But and you looked over and you'd see somebody with no names using with a needle sticking out of their arm and slobber coming out of their mouth and half the crew going out back to smoke pot in the parking lot and the other half snorting cocaine in the dressing room in front of everybody. And, you know, every drug, you know, it was like a pharmacy back there. If anybody would have had a major heart attack out of the building, they were safe because we had a, pharma, a complete pharmacy back in the dressing room. Those are the types of things that we don't want to bring back from ECW. I don't endeavor to ever live through that again. And, and, I, and I certainly don't endeavor to see anybody else, Ric Flair, Hulk, or, you know, Vincent Mann, any of them included. I don't want to see anybody else die. We've seen enough of that in this business. I think this business has given more than its fair share of its skin to the, to the, to the uh, death master. You know, we need to, to find a way to move forward in this industry that doesn't make it compliant to have to use drugs to do it. That the, I've always said the wrestlers should be treated professionally, respectfully, and like professionals in any other field. I don't believe the NFL players are treated like wrestlers are treated or Major League Baseball or National Basketball Association or the National Hockey League. Uh, 
you know, but for some reason in wrestling, it's okay for somebody to fall nine stories to their death and just, you know, scratch their carcass out of the ring and let's get the next match down there. Or it's okay if somebody dies in a hotel room for an overdose because we can find somebody else to fill in for them. Uh, that's not okay to me. Those things are important. And I've always believed that the wrestlers, if they're treated professionally and treated right, will will fall in the line. Will every one of them? Obviously not. So we have what happens at, at Extreme Reunion. But the difference is this time we've, we've met it head on. We didn't hide from it or shy away and go, what are you talking about? Everything was perfect hunkadory at, at Extreme Reunion. I came out very quickly afterwards and tried to take the bull by the horns and let the fans know that we're addressing it. Again, those fans that are out there and saying, oh, it's a crappy show and these guys are all idiots and it's never going to work and all that other kind of stuff, those are the same people that if we had God versus Jesus with Mother Mary as a referee, <laughs> they could have booked it better. You know, so to those guys, I thought, here's the challenge I put for them. Start your own wrestling federation. Book it the way you want. Come out and support it. But don't be afraid to get a little criticism that comes your way, whether it's justified or it's fine. Look, we'll take it. I'll take just criticism. But if you look, go back and look at the quality of the matches that were on that show that night, I'd say far more of them were solid, solid, very solid matches as opposed to, uh, all right or okay. We had some of that on the show, but far more solid matches than we had negative. Oh, yeah, I definitely echo, echo what you're saying about the criticism. I mean, I, I write a column, and I get tons of criticism when it, it's just a column that's written written for fun. And I do want to say the video that you put out, and, and it's so easy in this business and in this world to say, well, this happened and that happened. This wasn't our fault. That wasn't our fault. And you took full blame for everything, even probably some things you didn't need to. So, so I just want to give you props to you and a compliment for that, and that's really how the leader of an organization is supposed to act. So, so I wanted to just point that out and make sure if you haven't seen that video, go out there to YouTube and find it because it, it's you, you, you pointed the finger right back at yourself, which I thought was exactly what a leader should do. So good job for you. good job on you. Well, and, and you know, I, man, I, I took management in college, and and I've always tried to lead myself professionally like that. And and you know, and I think it's part of what played into that character, made that character have such longevity, was over thirty years in this business. Anytime I said something, I, I think the fans realize I'm speaking from the heart and I'm being sincere. Uh, and I've never ever tried to lie to the fans, and 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 and, and I take that very seriously now. That you know, if I'm going to go out and say something, I said a lot of things leading up to Extreme Reunion. Unfortunately, some of them did occur, as we said they wouldn't. So rather than hide from it or point the fact, you know, I could have come out and said, "Hey, it wasn't my fault. You know, we were understaffed and we didn't have enough money to do everything." And geez, it's this guy's fault. It was that guy's fault. Or whatever. No, to me, a leader, a real leader, comes out and says, "Look." Things happen. I'm taking responsibility for them. We're making the changes we need to. Exactly what I said. You know, look, if anybody has the perfect wrestling company out there or the perfect recipe, and I'm sure right now there's probably five or ten guys in the world. It's me. Me, I've got it. Then, again, I'm, 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 hey, I'm a big wrestling mark. So start a wrestling company. I'd love to see it. If you've hit on that perfect formula, I'm ready and dying to see it because I know that there's me and about 40 million other fans waiting for it. We're trying our asses off to deliver that to the fans, to introduce new talent like new luchadors at these next events. Um, and rather than bring in, you know, some of the same names that have been in before, uh, 15, 18, 19 years ago, whatever, uh, we felt that it was best for us uh, since ECW introduced Rey Mysterio Jr. and Super Crazy and, you know, so many other luchadors to the, to the American audience. We wanted to be the company that introduced 
that that next generation, that that next Rey Mysterio Jr., that next Super Crazy, that next Luchador that's going to capture the American audience. And that's why we're bringing in the guys that we're bringing in, second generations, generationers, both of them, uh, that can really deliver in the ring. And I really think they're going to excite the fans. Excellent. And, and, and i got to say, you've, you've been outstanding, not only as a representative of the company, but, but as a guest on this program. And, and we definitely want to do this again uh, in, in the future with you. But before we let you go, we want to make sure that everybody knows where they can find out about these events going up. So, so it's still, even though you're calling it Extreme Rising, it's still ExtremeReunion.net uh, where they can find information about both shows. June 29th in New York City, June 30th in Philly. Some great cards. Is there anything in particular about these two cards that you're personally looking forward to seeing? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen us deliver on what we promised the first time and delivered three quarters of the way on the first time. We're going to see, you know, Extreme Legends. We still have a few names to announce, and we'll be getting those out in the next few days. I think the fans of the original ECW will be really thrilled to hear. Uh, we also have, like I said, the new Luchadors coming in. Uh, for people that buy a ticket between uh, now and I believe it's next Saturday at midnight, uh, they'll get admission to a Q&A, uh, private Q&A, they can ask me any question they want with me, um, uh, and as you know, I'll answer it in, in depth and in detail. Uh, uh, and that will be for anybody that buys a ticket at ExtremeReunion.net, either the Philadelphia event or the New York event, between now and next Saturday at midnight. And we also are negotiating with another extreme legend at that Q&A. Uh, it's nine-tenths of the way done. I can't announce it yet. Uh, but as soon as we get it uh, ready, it will be at ExtremeReunion.net. And uh, to me, I'm proud of the site. You know, there's people that have been working on the site have been doing a fantastic job of getting, you know, the Pulp Fiction segments up and getting the word out of what we're doing since we don't have a TV show. Uh, go there. That's where all the information will be. going to be two great events. Excellent. Yeah, definitely looking forward to them. The talent on those events is top-notch. I love what you did with Blackout and the dramatics on the first show and the fact you guys released that match because that, that match kind of reminded me of what – ECW would be like if it just continued to evolve into a product in 2012. So, so we so can't we thank you. Uh, we have these guys like that involved. You know, it's, it's oh yeah. uh, they, they deserve it and they're going to earn their keep. And the second they don't, they'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we've, we've long said that without guys like that, there wouldn't be a future of the wrestling business. So, so that's and then we wouldn't have it to watch in 20 years. Um, and, you know, big big time thank you to Kevin and everybody at Stream Rising and you for coming on the show. We'd love to do it again in the future when you got some more shows coming up. And then can't thank you enough for all the time that you gave to us and to our listeners. We really do appreciate it. Guys, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you there. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Shane. Hey, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Less conversation, a little more action, please. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more fight, a little less spark. A little less fight, a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart and maybe satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. close your eyes and listen to me. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.